0: This is Infants on Thrones, the philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. This is Infants on Thrones. I'm Matt Long. And on this episode, Kristen, Tom, and I... We're going to talk about shame. Shame's a topic I've been thinking about for a long time. It's a topic I've particularly been thinking about over the last few months. As we've been having harder conversations, uh, topics about Sam Young, tone, respect, the ex-Mormon community generally, and really just life. I'm an incredibly flawed man and I'm constantly working, constantly trying to figure out this labyrinth, this maze and I fail a lot but just like all of us I'm a work in progress and some of the best times I've had is progressing by talking to the other infants by listening and reading the comments of our good listeners. Over the last few episodes, I've thrown some bombs at the ex-Mormon community, and that's been unfair. The listeners of this podcast, the people that comment, have become friends. And I treated that friendship really poorly. And for that, I'm sorry. And I want to make a public apology to say I'm young. My tone was wrong. The way that I treated him and the way that I condescended to him was shitty. And I expect better of myself. I have no excuse. I have no justification. I simply treated a good man in a way he didn't deserve to be treated. And for that, I'm sorry to Sam and sorry to our listeners. I want to be better. I want to be more effective. And I will be kinder to the people that I talk to. And so, I'm just going to try to do it. I want to thank all the listeners who've listened to the things that I've had to say in the past The thought that they've been worthy to listen to and worthy to comment on. You all have been the best part of my journey so far. And I'll never shit on that again. So I give you a conversation about shame. It, you know, as I was thinking about it, it's like, okay, now I can be all pro, you know, explain what's going on because there's, you know, in this, in this cycle of victimology, there's shared responsibility, which leads to concealment. Right. So we'll talk about shared responsibility. Cause that's, you know, that really relates to, you know, the, the, that right there. And as I was thinking about it more, I, um, I realized nah, that's, that's the, the, the real issue with shared responsibility is shame and different types of shame that, that people feel. And it's a problem that permeates society and it permeates us. And so the reason why I really wanted to talk about sexual abuse, so, so the, the reason why, the reason why I wanted to start talking about sexual abuse anyway, wasn't just to educate people about sexual abuse. It was to educate people about their own traumas. The reason why I understand trauma, my own trauma, be, despite not be, despite not being sexually abused, is because I really really understood sexual abuse. Are
1: you talking about trauma in the broad sense? Beyond? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Wow.
0: sexual abuse is simply another form of trauma, and we we. Um, so
1: you don't you don't necessarily rate trauma right? No. Because sexual trauma usually is equated with like the worst kind of trauma.
0: And it is. And that's why we can understand our own traumas uh-huh. particularly well if we can understand the traumas that are very easy to identify, like sexual abuse, like right. physical abuse, like, um, you know, famine. And, you know, if you don't know when, you know, poverty, um, f- physical failings, we understand those, those burdens that come with those traumas. And in many ways, because we understand those traumas, or, or at least are, are those are so evident we misidentify the same manifestations that in, in us. So for example, shame is a, is a, is certainly a great, a great example. Um, there are, there are aspects of, of shame that, that lead to um, well, how about this? So um, post-traumatic uh, or shame is a, is experiences of shame are uh, sometimes uh, or are often um, intersected with with trauma response and, and especially trauma memory, which we're, we're essentially talking about PTSD. Um, so it has some of the same um, effects, physiological effects, um, emotional effects, as as traumas. Um, but we all experience them, right? We, we, we when when we when we're talking about um, traumas, we're talking about things like um, betrayal. Uh, which lead to lack of trust, lack of um, trust in, in in people who we're were to be intimate with, who are supposed to protect us, and that has a, an an impact on um, us as people. So rather than talking about sexual abuse, I think we can talk about shame and instances of uh, and, and the effects of shame on just people on society. And in talking about that, we'll start highlighting other examples of shame that will be really evident. And, and so one of the examples I have that I want to get to eventually, once we get, really get going, is um, chastity lessons. Because shame, shame is around sexuality particularly, um, because those are the things that we don't talk about. Even the positive things about sexuality, right, where, uh, where, where a, a woman, you know, a, 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 a might feel shame for really, really, really liking to give her husband a blowjob, a healthy, positive. I'm happy you made that face, by the way, Kristen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We all are, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) But but that's that's another example of, (laughs) you know, of of shame. So it doesn't just have to be these obvious examples to have the same impact of um, lack of connection, lack of resiliency. And lack of love for ourselves, which is ultimately, I think, what we're trying to accomplish, and where our problems ultimately lie, in um, not feeling comfortable in our own skin, and and often, and too often, shame is a big reason from that, and it's why you know it's it's pipes, pop psychology started really, you know, doing dealing with shame and the Brene Brown's and, and and this. So I think it's there. Are, it's it's a topic worth. Um, worth at least discussing and introducing. And then I think we'll see that that there are real applications, not just in the sex abuse context, and there are, um, but in the education context, um, in the parenting context, um, and then in the interpersonal context of health and wellness. Because ultimately, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about sexual abuse. It's not necessarily just how to prevent sexual abuse but how to increase resiliency in children, those who have been sexually abused and those who haven't, including adults. So my, my discussions about these things really are about um, trying to arm people with, um, with, uh, w- with, with tools, tools of resiliency.
2: And I think tools of healing as well, which is sort of, but that yeah. as we discuss this, I like this idea. These, as we discuss these topics, then I think as people face them or realize, oh, I have that, it can help heal.
0: Yeah, it, it, and it does come to self, self-awareness. And, and so um, anyway, that, that's why I want to talk about kind of shame, Tom. And that's why I gave you that broad topic because I have thought of other times in the past where, as infants, we've done, um, you know, the fear and guilt and, um, you know, some of those topics. They were always the, my favorite discussions to have. Because they they allowed a lot more broad discussion um, that that, uh, that that allowed us to, to kind of at least take up a little bit more space and explore the human condition rather than the Mormon or ex Mormon condition.
2: Right,
1: it's universal.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: and yeah. more relatable for all.
0: Yeah, and I think I think when we get there, we stop. Ta- we stop not talking about the issue, and we're actually talking about the issue. I am taking on a new role, and I'm and I'm stepping into doing you know, uh, having other conversations and other, um, you know, education opportunities. And I, you know, I was planning on, you know, just bailing on infants on thrones in order to take on, you know, some of those, um, some of those uh, projects and, 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 uh, and and other things that, that, that are more, you know, in the, in the national and, and, you know, and things outside of Mormonism. And so much of this was kind of, it, maybe it was kind of a little bit of bomb throwing at the ex-Mormon community and the ex-Mormon world generally, basically. And it it was kind of like, yeah, fuck you. I'm maybe I am, maybe I'm bigger than you all kind of, there (laughs) wasn't, I think there was probably an attitude Uh of that that was, you know, very dismissive of the good, good, um, listeners, the time that they spent investing in us and investing in me and the things that I've have said over the, over the course of the last six years, um, and, and I do feel in many ways, I just, I just shat on that, um, hmm. in, in, uh, you know, in, 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 talking again, talking about the issue, um, and not actually explaining, um, you know, a deeper issue to demonstrate a, a depth of, 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 knowledge that can really be useful and therefore effective. Hmm. Wow. What do you think, Tom?
1: Well, first of all, the, about the uh, you shatting on ex Mormons or whatever, I, I do think that you kind of threw that bomb out there. And I I know personally that there are, are, you know, friends of mine that are, you know, quote, Matt fans, that they felt a little bit of, a, I don't know, a little bit of bitterness to yeah. Matt saying, oh, fuck you guys. And of course, as a listener, they're going to take that personally. Like Matt's saying this to me, not yeah. in a general sense and not, you know, in a, not not directed sort of way, so yeah, I I, I guess I can I kind of see why the fans and the listeners would feel that way. So I can understand your concern there. Um, to the shame stuff, I really want to uh, kind of uh, process that a little bit more, kind of dissect it to try to understand. Yeah, because. I, I see where you're going in a sense, but I guess I just needed a little more dumbed down. I need a little, little more explanation as to what, where, where the shame comes from. We all feel shame in a broad sense, right? But not, and I guess that's what you're trying to hone in to. Yeah. So
0: let's get, let's get all, into we, it.
1: We all have shame on some level, you know. And I guess, I mean, there's so many levels of it. There's so much shame that happens. We're we talking about even like embarrassment are we talking about worrying about what other people think i mean on that superficial sort of level and then we get into the more deep level where you know we're publicly shamed or if if our parents scold us or if you know like you said if our our spouse or partner does something to really ridicule us and i mean because then it gets more and more and then obviously you get down
0: into the depths where there's the sexual shame yeah so 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 let's Let's get into it. This is what we know about shame. Shame is ubiquitous. Shame is something we all deal with and that we all experience. And shame has real effects on our feelings of ourselves, our feelings and connections to other people. And our ability to navigate our world in really healthy ways and too often shame is unnecessary and and in in probably in most instances it's it's unnecessary and it's a product of um, our upbringing and the people we choose to associate with
1: can I stop you there for a second man Is it, I mean, because you're kind of painting the picture of shame in a negative light. Is it strictly negative?
0: That's a a question I had, dude. What do you think?
1: I think think even if we want to get right down in the nitty gritty, I think there's actually uh, a reason why we have embarrassment or shame, why we have these sort of triggers inside of us. Mm-hmm. Whether it's something that was you know innate in our genetics or biological or something like that, I think there's something to it. Uh, I don't know all the reasons why, but I do, know there, I do know there's probably something to it. But I mean, you know, if we're feeling shame for whatever reason, and I'm automatically just going to like a public embarrassment sort of situation, I'm going back to my childhood, right? Mm-hmm. Where I'm I'm in a theater class. And I'm wearing pantyhose and all my buddies are mocking me for wearing pantyhose. Okay. And, like that was so shameful to me that I ran home from school and, Ooh. and I didn't ever want to go back. Like in that memory's so vivid to me. Cause it was like this little weird traumatic experience. It's so, it's so silly in hindsight. Right. Yeah. But at the time it was just, it was just too much to bear and too much to handle. But I don't know. I, I lean towards that shame is, what, 80 90% bad. But I actually wonder, it makes me kind of offer a little bit of a counter to it. Like, well, maybe there's something good that it provides too. I don't know right off the surface what it might be, but I think there might be something
2: there. So I, I know when you first asked that, I was like, I think it's all negative. When I feel shame, I feel that feels negative. But I think there could be a positive if your brain is one that is, uses it to self-reflect. Like you just, so Matt did a brilliant job of earlier. I,
1: so if you're you more know, so of a self-aware sort of position, then you can use shame in a positive so way. We right?
2: could use shame, I think, yes, positively. But I, yeah. I, I feel shame is kind of negative. At least it's a negative feeling.
0: Yeah, so, so to me, shame is a, is a negative thing. Just like there is, there is no, um, you know, the the, the uh, uh, tolerance is a virtue, and there's no such thing as being too tolerant. There's never a point where shame or where tolerance uh, becomes a a vice or a negative, right? This is kind of the, this is kind of the religious approach of, you know, it's good to be tolerant, but you know, we must be careful to not be too tolerant, right? I, I think I think the virtues, um, you know, that that that's not a real thing. I think at some point you're now. T- calling something tolerance when it's not. Right. Um, so, so I think shame's the same way when we're talking about shame, it's a negative always because shame has to do with self blame, um, humiliation, fear of public scrutiny. Um, not a, a a, boy I felt regret for that and now want to change my behavior. That that's not shame. That because that comes from a positive place of 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 um I think of, of kind of self actualization, right? So huh. for me, we're talking about or, or not for me. I think we it's important when we're talking about shame to not get into the the pride problem. Okay, yeah. uh, pride's a good thing. No, 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 pride's a bad thing because right, this is right. what pride is. And no, no, no. Yeah. When we're talking about shame, we're talking about a psychological impact that has. PTSD-like symptoms. So right. if you, so, 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 um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 there's, there's studies out there that talk about how shame, um, will have the same, uh, the same PTSD responses of like flashbacks, triggers, dwelling on things, right. The, the dwelling on the past in very negative, um, destructive, you know, thought processes of, you know, the, shame leads people to suicide. Shame yeah. leads people to um, destructive behaviors. So when we're talking about shame, we're talking about that type of a reaction um, that 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 isn't that isn't one of okay. Well, you can hone it and use it to be positive. And I think shame is something that's just just um, debilitating and that is a negative. Is is a is a form of trauma.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I actually think that even with Brene Brown, and I don't know what your guys' position is on her. Yeah, I, I think she's fantastic, but when she talks about shame, she paints it in it, you know, in a very negative light. I now that I'm thinking back to it, I don't think she uses it in any sort of positive way. So I agree with you. I, I think that it is PTSD-like. You know, it can be something where it it puts on a level probably depending on what kind of shame it is, you know, levels of trauma. Right.
2: I agree. And let me, I, as you were saying that, I was thinking.
1: Sorry,
0: we didn't introduce evening. you. Kristen's on this episode. Oh, we'll, have int- we'll have to do an intro. We'll have to do an intro.
2: People know me. Right.
0: No, Kristen, tell um, everybody what, what you're an expert in. I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one to share. <laughs> let me tell you this. At, from a teacher standpoint, you, we Avoid making children feel shameful at all because it will shut down. I mean, it, it it shuts down their brain and their, um, you know, in different ways. Instead of just teaching, and so that's right. It, it would be totally negative because you have no idea how what this person's going to. You know, I can't say. Well, sometimes it's positive for me. When no, it's really negative.
0: <laughs> I, I think of um, you know when, when, I, when I especially with kids. Kids are so burdened and they're burdened by fears and unknowns. And um, to me, shame is the same thing. It provides, it's a burden. And our, our goal in this life, I think, or my goal is to find peace from a burdened mind. And some burdens you just, you just have to deal with. They just exist because of the, um, you know responsibilities and, and different things like that, but there's too many burdens that are just unnecessary that our minds are spending energy um, and emotional capital on. And shame is one of those that is so such a strong reaction and is so persistent and cyclical that it's a burden that stays with someone days, years after experiencing shame. Yeah. So an example I have recently, there's a fantastic. So, so my my uh, rather than quoting a psychologist, I'm gonna re, I'm gonna quote um, the Shame Wizard from Big Mouth, <laughs> Big Mouth, Big Mouth, <laughs> <laughs> Big Mouth Two. Well, I haven't seen oh, many Big season Mouth, on Netflix. I really recommend it. So okay. let me uh, <laughs> let me share this. Here. The Shame Wizard, Shame <laughs> Wizard. So they've got the hormone monster, which uh-huh. controls the. You know, these kids are going through puberty. Well, this is a this is Nick Kroll, right? He's, yeah, yeah, Nick Kroll yeah. And, and John Mulaney, and um, and it's it's brilliant in how okay. they deal with sexuality, and what I love is 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 you know, they deal with the hormone monster and all these these horribly cringy sexual um, experiences, and then so naturally br- they bring up the shame wizard tied into sex because really, uh, so often when we are talking about shame, we're talking about sexually related. Thing. So here's uh, the shame wizard.
3: Are you so
4: mean? (laughs) Well,. Tell me how do you think humankind would look Unrepentant of your every lurid sin Running carefully as you please Tits and willies to the breeze Indulging every hedonistic whim Would you be happier? Maybe yes But heavens, what a mess as you lie, cheat, scam and screw That's why I'm here to steer you right And to shine the naked light On all the horrid things you do And fill you with shame Shame, Making life just a little bit lame A healthy dose of sweet self-loathing shame This one is embarrassed that his balls have yet to drop And this one is a skeevy little perv This one's going betty because she split up mum and daddy And it's a punishment she's certain she deserves Let's see, this one's a bit winner, and that one's a dry hamper, and this one is a lonely little queer. How oh, I hate to be a bummer, but my dear, I've got your number and I'll whisper it forever in your ear. Bring in the shame, shame You've got no one but yourself to blame You thought no one was watching, but I'm right here in your brain So if start a to band too hot I'll your filthy flame. Yeah, oh, come rush in like a harsh judgmental friend to twist you the
0: winning with glorious shame. So the Thank shame you. wizard. But it but it is it is tied to uh you know too often to to sexuality um and and especially when um you know we're 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 talking about um you know uh, when we are talking about um you know, sexual abuse and when people haven't have um experienced uh sexual abuse the the shame and the higher levels of 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 shame self-blame um humiliation fear of public scrutiny shared responsibility Right. I I uh, was responsible. So 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 some concepts, you know, there's some other words to describe it. Right. There are a couple different types of shame variants, is, 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 is what uh, what I've heard them called. And one has to do with, you know, self-blame or fear of being blamed, which I like quite a bit to think about is, is it's not just, OK, it's my fault. It's someone else might think it's my fault. And, and And that can be you know uh, in, in a lot of different contexts, especially for kids and and you know I always talk about kids because um you know I, I think the, the amount of of these types of traumas that we um, that, that, that kids experience that's what leads to um, less healthy uh, adults and less ability to connect with oneself, which prevents people from connecting with um, with, with other people and particularly intimate partners and, you know, their spouses and their children and their parents and other people. And a lot of it is tied into these, these different things. So, so self-blame and fear of being blamed, um, humiliation, um, and, and fear of public scrutiny. Uh, those are, those are, those are what I've, what I've read and kind of understand as being the three, uh, different types of, of reactions that, that, that people have. And, and I think it's really important in a, um, you know in any type of a victim um component, I think it can be you know whether you 're being yelled at whether you 're feeling unfear you know you 're fe- when kids are fe- feeling fearful in their home or other places for some reason, you know whether they 're being berated at in in um sports leagues or like bu- you know being bullied right being bullied yeah um, yeah, you know all of these things are manifest, and all of these things. Um, contribute to helplessness contribute to silence mm-hmm. contribute to allowing those negative experiences those traumatic experiences to continue as well so the shame is a component to the to a to a traumatic experience because it's what prevents people from being able to either get access to resources to help them remove themselves from that traumatic experience or remove that traumatic experience from, from their life. Um, or for, you know, themselves being able to take, take action because it's always this, is this, this, you know, so there, there's, I think that's the interplay or that is the interplay between a very traumatic experience, um, and the shame that, that accompanies it. And the more that our you know, our kind of cultural, um, trained, um, ways, you know, whatever we have, it contributes to the different types of shame. So, so for example, men um, experience shame um, a, a little a little differently. You know, the things that I've I've heard is, you know, especially again, we're talking in a let's let's talk in the sexual abuse context. You know you have the self-blame um you know fear of being blamed that's that's the deserving victim right well what did i do to contribute this you know bad girls did something to provoke or facilitate you know what were you wearing what were you drinking you know why you know here are the things you could have could have done right and this is kind of that the the victim without power the disempowered victim um, you know, but that, that's different than some of the cultural narratives of, a, of a, you know, some of the men, which is, you know, real men are powerful. They're not victims. They, you know, they have and, and men will feel failed in their masculine duty to defend themselves. And so there's a component of shame there. Um, are which, you talking about victim blaming as a form of shame? Well, that certainly contributes to it. But this already exists internally. So when we talk about victim blaming, we start with the victim blaming themselves in these ways through shame. Right. Right. I contributed. I could have done this differently. I shouldn't have been wearing that dress. Or sure. <laughs> That's already happening. And then it's reinforced by our cultural narratives, which only, only compounds that shame which causes that, that person to say, oh my gosh, my fear, my self-shame is now being made manifest based on what I've heard these people say, based on what I've seen on TV, based on what you know my teacher says, based on what my dad says, based on all these people in my life who are safe are reinforcing the feelings that I'm feeling, which are, oh my gosh, it, it might be my fault. And the result is silence. The result is fear. The result is a helplessness and continued cycle of trauma, shame, lack of resiliency. Mm-hmm. In another form, you know, um, humiliation, you know, a, a, the disgraced victim, right? This is, um, you know, a woman is is dirtied or defiled by the sexual violation. You know, are you going to tell your husband about this rape, should, you know, that, that conversation gets, gets talked about. And again, that's, that's a different form of shame. Um, you know, and, and, and again, the different contexts is, you know, the, the, um, you know, real men are, are sexually dominant, you know, and they, they don't get raped, uh, for example, you know, so there's a humiliation aspect to, um, you know, to, to that, um, you know, you got the, the the fear of public scrutiny that I talked about. You know, is uh, you know some of these are related. Um, you know, the defamed victim. You know, good girls keep their sexual lives private. You know, we don't talk about such things. You know, these are these are private things to only be talked. You know, these are secrets, right? The more that those concepts are not just introduced but permeated to a child, the more shame they're going to feel, and that's going to be reinforced by the very upbringing that they have?
2: Gosh, this is ringing really true, even about, like, growing up as a girl, and I I remember being taught many times if it's your fault if, you know, the way people if you make a guy feel or, you know, you make out too long, you have control over that kind of that feeling. Mm-hmm. I do remember, I remember feeling a lot of shame even after just like making out for a while back then. So that, that really is ringing true that it is. And then, and then you're right. It's something you don't want to talk about because you've that feeling that's real.
1: Cause you believed it, right? Christmas. Yeah.
2: And you're yeah. So I like what Matt said though about that, that it, it that shame and then, that feeling of not being allowed to talk about it—of course, people stay silent. And then it's like, who do I tell that would believe that it's not my fault? Because then you start feeling it's not my fault. Is it my fault? Like all those questions. Yeah. You just have to figure it out in your own mind, and a lot of these are children that don't even know have all those
0: tools. Yeah. Ugh. And then, and then the shame is does contribute to um, you know basically trauma, I mean, traumatic memories. You know, when when we talk about PTSD, we talk about, um, you know, intrusions, you know, you can't, uh, you can't focus because you're remembering the feelings of shame that are tied to the experience, Um, the feelings of helplessness, Um, you know, the strong emotional avoidance of those feelings of, uh, you know, those, those again, not just the event, but, but, the, uh, but, but the, the shame as well, you've got hyper arousal that, that, that people experience, um, you know, and disassociation and fragmented states of mind. So this shame does have the impact of truly burdening our minds to distract us from being able to be in the moment, right? Be in the now because of dealing with, um, you know, spending men- real mental energy on events that no longer exist. And the way that, that the longer that goes goes along, the more helpless someone feels and the less likely they are to tell about their experience.
1: Are you familiar with what's called flashbulb memories? Flashbulb? Flashbulb, flashbulb events. Um, not, not, not in that context. I I'm not I'm familiar not. with it. I was reading, uh, this was a while ago, um, it's it's I read it in some psychology journals where a lot of uh, psychologists and therapists will talk about flashbulb memories, which which is essentially what happens. And, and this is why it's bringing it up to my mind is when you're talking about these moments of shame, that when someone enc- encounters something that's really traumatic, something deeply shameful, something very uh, distressing or whatever, it, it creates in their mind where they, it's what they consider a flashbulb memory. So if you imagine like a flashbulb goes off Everything in the room is, ex, is extremely highlighted. The sense of smell, the tastes, mm-hmm. uh, uh, every, the shirts, the fabric, like everything's intensified because your memory's like taking this moment to take it all in, just this one moment, yeah. and then hyper sensitize every little detail. And then afterwards, you have, like you said, with this shame cycle you hyper focus and mm-hmm. hyper overanalyze that flashbulb moment to you know to infinity. You know, you're just know. going over and over and over and, over and again. Yeah. And the problem is is memory is always fallible, right? So some of it can get corrupted, but for the most part, a lot of it is really vivid. Like I was just talking about that moment when I, you know, in, in elementary school and I go up in this theater mm-hmm. thing. Like I can remember everything. I can remember the costumes, I can remember my friends. And, and yeah, it was it was a weird little stupid memory and a weird little traumatic experience, but yeah, it was like my mind at that time just said we're going to soak in everything at this moment and we're just going to like, you know, stamp it and we're going to keep it locked up and it's going to be permanent. You know, mm-hmm. and it feels like it's always there. It's always in the back of your mind, you can access it in an instant and it's very distressing, and a lot of times it, it can alter you know, your life and your characteristics from there on because it becomes this anchor that you're carrying with you.
2: Yes, so and rest. like Matt said, it takes up so much brain space that it's, it, it really does affect learning and ways you take oh, in yeah. other experiences. Because
0: Sure, and you know, so the way you, you just described that, we, I talk about that as, uh, as um, episodic memory. Like you take an episode and you just have it. Versus, you know, the the other other um, you know things that'll that'll happen, other experiences that just kind of flow through and just get melded into the minutiae of life. Right? Those those are more. Those are called script memories, and 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 um, that's uh, it's uh, it sounds different. Like you're reading from a script as if it's, as if you're being coached is what people think. Right. Or you're, but, but yeah. it's not, it's just that, you know, it's a, it's a, we, we all deal. I, 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 right? I talk about, we deal in our dramas. Everybody has their own dramas that they deal with. Right. We have the scripts that we play in our lives. Okay. You go to school, you go to church, work, you go to church. And those experiences become so commonplace and so consistent that it's just, well, we ask somebody, what do you, what do you do at work? Well, I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do that. And if you try to pinpoint a very specific date, you really can't do that. Yeah, or, it's, in you know, and
1: it's in and out, just like yeah. that.
0: But you have some really uh, event that stands out that, that, right. you know, that now imprints, uh, as you were describing. You now have an episode that distinguishes it from your normal drama, the normal play that you kind of just flow through every day, the script that you've built for yourself. Now you're off script. This wasn't supposed to happen. Like if you're in a car accident going to work or something. Right. Like, yeah. Right. I'm off script. Yep. yep. <laughs> this is different. Right. So, you, so you remember. But now the shame and, and other contributing factors can also lead to disassociation. So because of that shame and those feelings, your brain is very good at, at protecting itself. And your body's good at protecting itself. And one way that happens is to bury that memory. Right? Avoid it. And it doesn't get buried completely. Sometimes it does. But uh, but. But really, it can have the effect of absolutely staying with you. But that shame um, also has the effect of of you doing everything to avoid thinking about that event, to avoid the shame, to remove the emotional reaction. And so that has its own impact as well. And often that does have the impact of keeping a kid quiet. Because when I talk about sexual abuse, when I talk about keeping kids quiet, I'm not really just talking about sexual abuse. I'm talking about all kids. Why are our kids not telling us when they're dealing with real-world issues? It's the same manifestation. It's the same feelings of shame and not feeling secure with their parent to be able to disclose these instances of shame. And so that's when we talk about disclosure. Right, The disclosure of a traumatic event, the disclosure of sexual abuse, the disclosure of a rape, the disclosure of, of, of physical abuse, of a domestic violence relationship, shame is, is, is certainly tied directly to that. But we have to be able to, to be more aware of this in ourselves, to be more aware of it in our kids, be more aware of it in other people, if we're going to be the people that people that that others are willing to to reach out to as a resource in order to bridge that shame gap.
1: Yeah well it sounds like you're you're talking about um, creating a trusting relationship or trusting atmosphere you know because if if especially if it's a child, if the child even even just a whiff of distrust to their parents. Like oh um, you know I told my dad this secret even if it's really dumb like I like unicorns don't tell anyone yeah <laughs> and then if yeah. and then if she finds out that the dad violated that then it erodes that trust yeah and then when it's, there's something extremely important that happens she's going to be like well he couldn't even keep that so why am I going to approach him with that and that's why I feel like trust is so important so important that you so you have important. to really nourish a trusting atmosphere with not just your kids, but your spouse and your, you know, those close to you. Because if, if trust gets violated, <laughs> then yeah, I'm going to be more quiet around you. My kids are going to be more quiet around me and they're not going to be mm-hmm. willing to talk to
0: me about really anything, let alone the important stuff. Dude, I'll, your connection between betrayal and shame and these things. That's friggin' textbook psychology, homie. Okay. Wow. Good job. Good job. Good <laughs> <hot>. job. <laughs> Yay. No, in fact, I mean, there's a study, there's a study I pulled up. I, I was, uh, it's a fairly recent one. I went, I went to a, uh, a resource that I have this, is, um, Jim Hopper, who I've talked about on other podcasts, but um, yeah, I
1: don't know. I, you keep bringing him I up. I do. I now keep bring, I'm but, like, I got to read what he's doing or something.
0: Yeah, no, there's some good stuff, but I, I text. I emailed him and said, Hey, well, um, you got some stuff on Shane and he sent me some stuff and, and, uh, and and some 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 of the stuff was was really cool because I've been I've been focused all my training and, and on you know like I said sexual abuse stuff and kind of tied into which we focus on shared responsibility on in sexual abuse right With a that a, an offender um, you know through through engagement and grooming um, behaviors makes the child feel uh, a part of the abuse and that they are you know so so often they'll um, you know they'll ask for permission. Is this okay? Does this feel good, right? That's a form of grooming, not just because of the physical barriers, but in creating a a preparing that shame once it does hit. Yeah, yeah, right. And so that's that's to to, to really uh, focus on. You know, and, and anyway, why why that is particularly damaging? Because the goal of of any uh, offender isn't just to commit the offense; it's to get away with the offense. Of course. So yeah, how do you get away with to, the trying
1: offense? Trying to protect themselves.
0: Yeah. Right. So you, you you do what you can to make sure no one will tell, and so yes. you start by targeting the right, the child, the child that no one will believe, someone who's particularly vulnerable, where there's a need uh, or there's a, there's already an existing shame is a good place to start. Yeah. So let's not talk about shame maybe after the fact. Let's say if there's there's an immense level of shame related to something that then can then be used to add shame on to that and to use, or to, not to add shame on it, but to use that in order to ingratiate yourself with a child in order to, you know, get to a point of, of manipulation. And, um, you know, yeah, this it's really disturbing, dude.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, there was a, I think I talked to you about this, but there was a story I was listening to on a podcast where a guy who, uh, you know, it was, sounds like this is a stereotype, but it's real. He, he's talking about being molested by a Catholic priest for many, many years who was a family friend as well. And, and the problem was, is this priest um, was so engaging and, and was doing all these tactics that you were just talking about, but also to the point where the priest was actually uh, helping him. Uh, find ways of severe enjoyment and orgasm and stuff like that saying, see, you're enjoying this. Hmm. So when he's an adult now and he's, he's relaying all these, these thoughts, whatever he's like, I was abused. But the problem is, is I was a participant. I, I enjoyed it as well. Right. I was climaxing. I was, I was, he's like, how can I, how can I blame him when I was, you know, in a lot of ways, an equal participant, um, and And he had to deal with kind of breaking that psychology out of his head, and holy crap, dude, what a mind fuck that is yeah i, I don 't even know i, I don 't even know where to start with with even trying to talk about that like oh man
0: well let 's start by um, considering the the areas where our children are experiencing real shame about normal, normal behaviors or about behaviors that are just theirs. So I was thinking about a couple fairly benign instances of manners in which we just, so, so to me, it comes down to our inability or unwillingness to allow kids to navigate their own world and be who they are. But how do you get that? How do you do that? Well, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an example okay. is, you know, we're a basketball family. You want to dance queer that happens everywhere, man. Yeah. Right. We're a music family. What's wrong with you? The jokes, the sarcastic, it's with really, it's the message is you're not like us or you're not fitting this role that we you're have predetermined for you. Yeah. We have predetermined what your role is. I say, you know, from day one, a child, um, so I feel like I'm starting to get passionate. Am I yelling at you, Tom? No, you're sounding um, great, dude. Okay, good. <laughs> From day one, we don't even allow, especially amongst religious children, we don't allow their soul even to belong to them. Because there's a battle, battle for their soul between the two <laughs> gods, right? God and Satan. Yeah. And then we don't even give them their own minds because immediately your mind is being monitored by someone else. And you have other people in your life who are able to discern what you're thinking and whether you're good or bad. And then they become extensions of God, of the family, of the church, of the school, of the team. Yeah. That continues on. They're never themselves. And it's, and it's generally, um, they're generally, it's so effective by using shame, um, shame principles, shame concept, shame feelings to get them into line and ultimately stay quiet. How many kids are willing to stand up to their parents and say, I will, I'm, I'm not going to go to, I'm not doing basketball. I'm not doing sports. I'm doing, I want to do drama, right? It's a, it's, it's that concept has become cliche in, you know, cinema and, in and in TV shows, right. Of, of, of that type of a thing, but it's a real thing tied to shame, and so I think we start there asking the kid, really, what do you want to do for you? Not, you're going to do what I want for you.
2: I think what we also, as a culture, and especially religious cultures, like you're saying, I think what we do, we take away, uh, or we don't give children enough opportunity to make choices on their own anyway, on in anything. Because right. we know better, um, and like Matt was saying, if it's religious, then God knows better, and these are the rules. But with... With little simple decision-making skills, as kids learn that, well, and then I think as a culture, then they make bad mistakes and then it's, you know, shame on you and you did this wrong instead of, wait, now let's talk about why this didn't go well. Let's teach instead of right. make them feel a lot of shame. So instantly I think as children, and I, I can relate to this. You don't, you start, you stop trusting your step, yourself, um, because of the shame that's already in there. And also then the, what ifs, what if, right. what, what if I, I don't want to make this one wrong. Cause I don't want to feel bad. And I don't, it's, and then it. and then as adults, no wonder we cannot
0: function and make choices. We, we yeah. start, you're right. We already start with a default level of shame that is just so self-imposed. Yeah. And then it's opened up like, you know, with steroids by oh. our parents and, and, and family members and other cultural, you know, and, and, and upbringing, kind of concepts, Partic- I, particularly re- religious, yeah. Other children. other
2: children who are going through the same thing and right. want to put blame on you. I don't want anyone to know that I'm doing that. So, even I, yell at Eve I feel the bully. so much
0: shame. So, I want to try to mm-hmm. make you feel more shame. So, hopefully, people won't shame me, <laughs> right? It's yeah, it's crazy.
2: It's, cycle. it's this
0: constant. It's this constant thing. So, so I think that's wow. how we fight about fight against it. And so that's why I talk about the small issues of giving your kid, making your kid have the decision of what to do with their own bodies. You know, you, you, you let them make the decision. And so, you know, a great example is, you know, uncle, grandma, grandpa, right? This kid does not want to sit on grandpa's lap, does not want to sit on uncle's lap. Um, maybe it's for a reason. Maybe it's just because I don't really know that guy very well and I'm not feeling it. Or I just don't want to be picked up and touched and hugged and cuddled right now.
1: I, I think you're on to something and I think this is great. But the thing is, is there needs to be more than just educating the child. Because the grandma and grandpas, and I'm thinking of my own family, sure. where they can even be a little bullyish by saying, "Get over here, yes. give your grandma yes. hug. Get over here, get over here," and then the kid starts crying, like, "Get over here!" Now we're in shame, right? Right, double
0: shame.
2: So then everyone's like, hurry and so hug them before they keep so right. no, Just hug them, right. just hug
0: them, just We're end this, this weird. Yeah, right. But it's always the kid who has to acquiesce to the adults, always. I know. Because and then of
2: course they don't trust the adult because they're the ones telling me to hug them. Now, and hug now him. are
0: we in some betrayal? Why did my kid why did my dad make me do that? I didn't want to do that. And you know, they're, they're absolutely so yeah. so yes, it it does just it requires education to the kid and 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 but it requires buy-in from parents. Right and, and you, know, you know, to, to implement. So, so one of the things like I'll give a high, f- I'll put a high five up there or, or something like that. And the kid doesn't want to. And you get the parent that always says, give him a high five, give him a high five. I always look at the parent and say, or no, actually I will, will always look at the kid and I say, you never have to give me a high five if you don't want to. I give them permission. So I do continue to talk to the dad, hopefully by modeling right. that it'll send a message to the parent. So, but yeah. these are, I I say these are advanced moves, but they shouldn't be because when I say what I just said, you know, I, I I suspect most people out there are going to say, well, yeah, of course that makes sense because what you're doing is you're arming your kids with the principle of being able to make decisions with their own body. Right. But it, it, I think it starts on these small little levels in the way that we just won't accept kids. You know, how much stupid shaming do we do about what people choose to eat or wear or the way, you know, the movies they watch, you know, is, is we start becoming, you know, hey, have you watched this movie? Oh yeah, it sucks. And you're like, oh gosh, I really liked it. Now I'm, maybe there's something wrong with me or you're in a fight. Wait, you have to like it too. You know, now you're in this kind of, but it's this, it's a stupid example, but it's a real one that happens all the time, especially when people are already prone to be be sensitive to to some of these um, self doubt shame um, uh, experiences, and especially with kids who are already vulnerable and not resilient to the the outside world. Yeah,
1: it's all it's all it's all about uh, power struggles and mo- modes of control. Yeah, because yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I I was, I was thinking of an experience when Kristen was talking earlier, because my wife's a, a kindergarten teacher as well. And she was uh-huh. talking about this scenario where there's, you know, two or three boys out on recess. And, and for some reason that it was, it was dick sharing time. So they all take, take their penises out and they're all like, Hey, I've got one. Do you got one? Yeah, I've got <laughs> one. <laughs>
3: Look at this, mm-hmm.
1: You know, and, and, As a teacher or a chaperone or whatever, you know, you're in a very delicate situation because you could instantly turn that into a shameful thing or even awkward or whatever. Instead, you know, it's like, okay, boys, guess what? Every boy has one. Not a big deal. Put them Mm -hmm. away, okay? Just keep them to yourselves. You know what they're used for when the bathroom, blah, blah, blah and And if you play it off as like it's not a big deal, then yeah, it's not a shameful thing, but if you're like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. go to the principal's office, right. quit touching yourselves, quit showing that to other people, call the parents in and blah blah blah, and it becomes this big scene, and then yeah,
0: shame mm-hmm. yeah gosh and you know i I think particularly in the in the mormon context or, or I should say in the religious context because this is this is why you know I, I think the the connection between well what's 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 so interesting. Is you know the studies that have been on um, pornography as an addiction, kind of the, that's, that's completely been debunked. Sort of, they, the 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 studies are showing that there are real problems with kind of addictive problems with pornography, but it's directly proportional. It's directly tied to the religiosity of the person, and not you know pornography per se. So so that's tied to the shame cycle this year, not cycle, the shame, um, but well it, it is, but the shame, uh, the shame, uh, expressions and, and the impact that it, that it has on, um, you know, it has negatively on interpersonal, um, issues and on health and wellness. Yeah. And, well, and the same could be said with masturbation, but yeah. Um, I think it's good for health and wellness. <laughs> but, well, it oh. depends on who you're at. Oh, if you're – okay, yeah. The same <laughs> – yeah, okay, I'm with you. Following, tracking. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: I don't know, man. The other research I heard was 21 emissions a month. So, <laughs> it's for healthy 21. prostate, you're Why supposed to have – set a goal? You're supposed to have 21 ejaculations a month for ideal right. prostate health. So. so, if you're at 67, you're a little high. Okay. It, the, appa- yeah. Apparently, high is fine. You just don't high want to – High is fine? All right. Yeah. All right. You can overshoot. You just don't, <laughs> don't want to undershoot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Otherwise, we should shame you. Yeah,
3: for all, right. every
0: <laughs> all those Kleenexes you go through. Yeah, oh, yeah. Gosh. We're
2: gonna make a chart and hang it on the wall <clears> so <throat> everyone knows exactly. That's right. Yeah,
1: right. Dude, that's, that's look true. at all those dates. I you used to
2: hate those things. I'm like, don't show everyone. We're on not. Not this. Not in this competition. And I'm not very good at this one. But, but,
0: but <laughs> certainly, certainly, you know, high levels of 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 Sin concepts and the need for repentance concepts are going to relate to high levels of shame. Mm-hmm. High levels of shame are going to make a child particularly vulnerable. Anyway, um, you know, susceptible to to manipulation, and then will be have even more experiences of shame, which will contribute, which will um, even contribute more to. Um, helplessness, hopelessness, and silence perpetually. And so what I wish I would have said many, 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 many times is that the chastity lessons and the manner in which the Mormon church approaches sexuality, that is the problem. And that is a problem because the manner in which it makes kids vulnerable to shame makes them experience actual shame, which makes them vulnerable to grooming behaviors, vulnerable to sexual abuse because of all those, those are those kind of predispositions as a result of the chastity lessons. And then it relates to, um, you know, the, the silence and the, the less likely, um, a kid is to tell. And so this is why I say Mormon, the Mormon church are fundamentalist religions, um, are particularly set up to allow offenders to flourish and to make children and victims particularly vulnerable.
1: Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, because even in the several conversations that we've had about this around Sam Young and everything, it sounds like, you know, there's these dominoes that fall and then in the center of the dominoes is the actual, you know, predator-victim scenario. Sure. But if you go back, like what you're saying, these, you know, if we go eight to 12 dominoes back, now we can look at this, the shaming behavior and say, if you really want to stop the actual traumatic experience, we've got to look, you know, eight, 10 dominoes back and say, all right, look at, look at this, you know, and, and I think it's, I think it's incredible to hyper focus on that, but it's so difficult
0: Right? Well, and that, and every,
1: that, everybody always wants like one clean answer.
0: Like, yeah, but oh, no, yeah. This, this is, for me, this is a little bit of a clean answer because you don't have to just intervene eight dominoes back. You don't have to start from the beginning to still have real intervention and impact on reducing these, um, these risk variables, these vulnerability variables, I guess, right? You can intervene at any point. And, yeah, and, right. That's right. totally true. And so, and so you, But, but by, being a, by, by being aware of these, it gives people the tools, in particular the kids, hopefully to have access to the resources to develop right. the resiliency in order to stop the, the cycle. So it's because my, my goal is, is just, it can't be to stop trauma. It can't be to stop abuse. And it can't be to stop sexual abuse. Because if that was my goal, I'd go mad. Because it will never happen. Right. But we can reduce the instances of it. And reduce the um, the 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 uh, um, you know how perpetuating it is, right? How persistent it can be with a, with a particular victim, and reduce the instances, and get to a place of having more disclosures and um, more intervention so that people aren't suffering in silence for so long. So I think that's the goal. And so rather than saying, you know, well, if we if the sexual abuse happened, or if any of these traumas happened. Then, oh, we failed. No, we we haven't failed. In fact, we have opportunities to succeed even when sexual abuse has happened because we can um, contribute to reducing the shame um, of of those experiences that will help reduce the traumas and the the negative PTSD um, experiences later by giving kids a voice. By feeling, feeling by providing more opportunities and more spaces for them to feel safe, secure, and comfortable in coming forward. So let me go to the the, the bishops' interviews.
2: Which can I say yeah. really fast? I like what you said because if we can teach that and children disclose sooner, of course it's going to lighten yeah. the heat. many other times it would have just kept going on and yeah. the deeper, ugh.
0: Right. right. So success isn't in just preventing abuse. The su- yeah. success is in giving victims a voice and reducing the shame and helping them break out yes. of the cycle. And so I, you know, I see someone like McKenna Denson who has absolutely been empowered by finding a voice after being um, in that certainly shame cycle for so, so, so incredibly long. And I see a number of my kids that, you know, have had to testify and I've seen them walk into a courtroom with one demeanor and walking out as a different kid. It's, it's, you know, there, there, there's, there's a connection between speaking, disclosing and reducing that shame, especially if you can find somebody who receives that information in a way that isn't, you know, isn't shameful. We have to acknowledge that and be aware of the reality of that, how hard it is um For anyone to tell about their you know any sexual experience even a positive one i mean my gosh we we are shamed about i mean gosh how many women are out there women are feel are um you know f- f- uh, shamed for experiencing orgasm or anything they they do sexually now add a religious context add some of the some of the um you know, the chastity lessons and the sexual lessons that, that have permeated, um, it, it contributes to unhealthy expressions and especially unhealthy expressions with other people.
3: Hope. Yeah.
0: But I think there's hope. And the hope is to be more and more aware of this. The, the, the times when experiences, for, we, excuse me, we experience it. You know the time that um, you know we can we can also do as much as possible to not make our kids feel shame for being them. So let me give you another example. I was thinking about the other day. You know, is any and I think a lot of times it, it often always it so often happens with um, you know some form of religion, and so you know I think of uh, of, of parents who shame their kids for wanting to eat meat. If they're not in a meat-eating home, you know, if, if their parents are are vegan or, or vegetarian, I mean, that's, those are other forms of, of, of ways where we shame our kids all the time, um, in because they don't adopt our view of the world or the way that the, the way that we've decided that it works for us to navigate the world. We just have such a difficult time when our kids take steps that are different than that to navigate theirs.
1: Yeah, we have, I mean, we as parents, we have to stop trying to put our kids in certain roles or predetermined roles and just let them choose for themselves. Yeah. I, I, fight, I fight this all the time. And it's it's been one of the best things that's ever happened to me is when I just relinquished any form of control and just let my kids choose what they want to choose. You know, if they're going to play soccer, if they're going to play the piano, yeah, they would gravitate towards swim or music or whatever it is, you know, and I I had to be conscious enough to say, yeah, Tom, you want your kids to play football or whatever sports or whatever, but once I kind of gave that up and say, you know, I I can tell when my kid is enjoying something when they're not. Yeah. And that's all I really want them to do is just enjoy themselves. So, yeah, I quit why why am I trying to impose something on them?
3: Just right. let, them, I like. let them be.
2: I like, Tom, that you said that, that you let your kids choose. I I think the best thing that we could do for kids is let them choose all the time. And people then ask me, well, so you just let them make all the choices? And I'm like, no, you can give them choices that you want, but you let them choose. And I learned this years ago because we raised some pretty stubborn kids. And it really, watching them gain their um, self-authority. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you know even when they're in trouble fine then you can do this this or this you need to choose one right now or i'm going to choose like just little things like that build the child's self confidence in making decisions that and you you know like we now as parents can say we know this works we've seen it just like you just said Tom but it's it's hard to teach
0: it, it is and it's <laughs> it also takes mental energy to do it as an adult it's so much easier to, to do what i say because i can't i don't want to have the conversation with you and and I but and I and I understand the realities of that, and I, I certainly experienced it. What I'm suggesting is, at some point, to have the conversation with them, right? And pa- part of the conversation is, tell me about your world. Tell me how you see things.
1: Yeah, you know, why and, is it that
0: you want to do this?
1: And, and it, also it, that that going. something that you'd mentioned earlier, where you said, you know, your body is your body. You have mm-hmm. control over it. You don't. You get to say, you know if any if if someone wants to hug you you don't have to hug them you don't have to let anyone touch you you don't have to hold someone's hand and even when it comes to family i that that just that message keeps resonating in my head over and over and over again as when i was a kid how yeah. valuable that would have been to just know you know your body is yours no one else's yours yep and just just reiterate that message over and over and over again until it sinks in and they really believe it, and then they act on it. Like this yep. is my body. If grandma wants a hug, I'm not going to give her a hug. And if I'm going to do this, and you know, there's just certain elements of ownership that they take. I think. It's-
0: know, I walked by. I walked by my daughter the other day and just kind of flicked her. You know, gave her one of those. You know, those those love smacks or whatever. You know, and she's like, "Hey, don't do that." I said, "I'll do that if I want to." She's like, "My body." I was like. You know what? You're right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's but you know, it, it, it's, but it's a, a anyway. Um, yep.
2: But it yep. took me, uh, I mean, I'm 44 and I now can confidently be like, I don't, I'm wearing whatever shirt I want to the grocery store. I don't, I'm, <laughs> I have felt shame even in, well, I better not wear this because people might see like side boob or some stupid thing. I don't care. Well, if I don't care, I, it, I'm 44 and I can finally do that.
3: Like, <laughs> you why was it doing my it the fault? The man yeah. in the
2: grocery store wants to look at my boobs while I'm grocery shopping. Like I, I'm sorry. Don't
1: that's look his problem. Boobs, but yeah, that, yeah. That's that's his issue. Not yeah. Yours.
2: So, it, but that was something ingrained and in taught in me. Like I had yeah. to be careful of that. That that is a simple way that shame affects adults too. Yeah. Just and so, of course, when we tell our kids, oh, don't wear that. Well,
0: why? What are we telling right. them then? Yeah. Yeah. So if there's yeah. a reason let's talk about yes. that and let's say, you know, why do you want to wear that? What is it? You yeah. know, let's, I, I wish, I just wish we could spend more time um, asking open-ended questions of our kids. You know, tell me about that. Tell me, tell me about your world. That's
2: great advice.
0: That's that to me. That's, that's what we're doing is trying to give kids a space to um, interpret and communicate their world. Yeah. And make them free to do both. How, how uncomfortable we are with silences with our kids when you ask them a question. And now we start feeding them information. Well, they're thinking. They're thinking. They want. They re- I, love, I love silence between kids after a question. And then to get that response that was just authentic.
3: That is such a good...
0: But we don't let them go through their own process enough because we're so used to our own roles of, how are you? Well, what would you do today? Nothing. What did you, you know, we're, we, we, we're uncomfortable with these. We don't even take the time to process ourselves and we, and we don't model that behavior in, other, in, in our kids. That's so valuable. I mean, I was just thinking of a scenario where uh,
1: my daughter wanted to dye her hair purple. And I remember my wife just kind of getting a little triggered by saying, why would you want to do that? That's so stupid. And there's going to be so many people that are going to make comments or whatever. And, and not to toot my own horn or whatever, but I went up to her and I said, you know, I think purple is a great choice. I mean, if you wanted to go pink, that's cool too. You know, if, if I had hair, I would have wanted to dye it too. you know, and just kind of just build off that because you're right, Matt, just let them just let them have the chance to talk about what their world is, what they're experiencing, yeah. because I knew that my daughter, there must be some reason she'd want to dye her hair and kind of go all punk or whatever, and I was curious about that. But I, I'm not interested in shaming her and not, you know, kind of bullying her by saying what a stupid thing to do. Why would you do that? You know, and that's the yeah. typical sort of parental experience like you're not going to dye your hair that's so stupid why would you do that instead of saying why would you want to dye your hair you know and why would you want to choose that color if you ask that then you'll get information valuable information as to what's going on maybe you know their best friend dyed their hair you know maybe that's it maybe maybe they want to get attention from this boy that likes his color any number of things you're never going to get that information if you shut them down and shame them (laughs) you know
0: or if you inject what you think are the reasons why they're doing whatever they're doing, right? Or control them and put yeah. them in a role. Yeah, and it's it's it, and it happens too uh, too often.
2: And it, I think, it provides um, opportunity. Then when they start to tell you about their life, times where I know we as parents can teach a little bit, like, oh, did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just yeah. pre-teach this thing yeah. because we let them talk. Um, I, and
0: it's it's so fun, especially modeling that as as my as my youngest because it's been a while. We find it's not like we've always done this. This has been a work in progress. It's been you know for twenty some years of Kristen of years. being a, a teacher and you know fifteen years of, of, of me me working with kids um, that we finally started kind of getting more comfortable with it with our own kids. But and I with re- each other and with, that's a good point.
2: I we let each other shut speak. up, Kristen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no,
3: should, but like, we, we I, started.
2: We really did. Start allowing each other to think and and sometimes it takes me a while to like match my words with what's in my brain. And you like you give me time for that instead of me have the feeling like I have to have an answer like this. Mm -hmm. That also, you know, causes a little bit of shame because, like, why did I not uh, said the wrong thing? If we're teaching that in kids, then that's the adult they will be. So I know that. Like we tried now to communicate that way with adults as well. Yeah. Like just, I really do want to hear what people have to say. Not, I don't want them to regurgitate my thoughts. I already have my thought. I want to hear other people's reasoning. And I think we need to do that when you, obviously, you know, I think that, but if we do that more with adults and as adults, it will be easy to do that with our children. 100%. 90%
1: One hundred percent. Yeah, oh, still hard. Ninety percent of adults are just overgrown kids, anyways. Oh, ab- absolutely. We're we're
2: kids.
0: I, I, I'm I, only forty
2: four. <laughs> I got yeah. a lot of stuff to learn still. Yeah, <laughs>
0: and, and and so this is, this is well. So so let me let me get into um, uh, the bishops interviews and um, confession interviews. You know, any of these fundamentalist religions where you have to go, somebody have you know to tell them because you know. Uh, the the um the voyeur god in your head 100% of the time isn't enough <laughs> we now have to externalize b- this blame and shame by uh, you know having this manifestation of this person who's kind of a stranger uh, you know to talk about these things as well so that is where the shame wizard, so that's what we should oh, call gosh. these bishops <laughs> they're the shame, the shame wizard. wizards <laughs> that, right. that now really ratchet down on this already existing shame as a result of every chastity lesson and you know and every misdeed and every you know I thought about a boob and so is that sinful and and now let's let's look at a situation of sexual abuse and let's look about sexual abuse where it's a particularly intimate offender a father an uncle a brother right another church member there is no way that they have the resiliency to tell that motherfucker right so but crazy. what is happening is that shame is being just oh uh, you know I don't know what the analogy is but just opened up and released because now they're saying did you do you know these things and they're thinking oh my gosh yes and now that You know, the inability to tell for all those reasons and the reminder of, oh, my gosh, I contributed to this or I did this too." that shame is just ratcheted down to a point of if that kid was ever going to tell before, they're probably not.
1: Or even if the kid had no experience in
0: that shame department now. Yeah, there is shame. You know, there is that trauma there. So to to me, that's the particular connection. And why it makes sense for people to say, no, it is connected to sexual abuse. It it, it is in those ways, but not in the ways that are being articulated by, by some of the groups out there. And, and 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 that's why I said you stop bishops interviews tomorrow, you do nothing to impact sexual abuse. That's why. That makes sense.
3: Yeah. That does.
0: So the good news is, is there are other, there are, there are ways, there are resources for people to work on that shame. Um, you know, those shame, those feelings of shame, not just just expecting other people's to intervene. And, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to attach a couple, um, articles, the, some of the articles and I'll attach the, the, some of the clips and stuff related to shame, but there's this, um, There's something called compassionate mind training with for people with high shame and self-criticism. And it it kind of it's an overview of this of this study that was done about, um, you know, trying to um, help help uh, patients um, explore acceptability, understanding, um, you know, abilities to utilize and practice compassion um, for themselves. Um, you know, these, these types of, you know, this is, you know, this sounds like real self help stuff, right. But, um, you know, connected to CBT type, type therapies and, and, and these things, it can help individuals develop more resiliency from shame, which helps heal from some of those, those, Mm -hmm. those traumas and PTSD. So I'll, I'll attach that article, um, as well and provide some other resources. You know, I think this is why people talk about mindfulness, yoga, Um, you know, you know, meditation is is because, you know, spending time with yourself um, in not in scripts and not in dramas and not in roles contributes to um, less feelings of shame and more feelings of self-acceptance, love. And I think the more we get to know ourselves, the more we are to really Know and connect with other people. You know,
1: you know. I was, I was thinking about your experience about. I, I'm going to wear whatever I want to wear, and I think my wife in particular has made a drastic change when she stopped wearing garments. And it's such a silly thing, but when no, she, it's not. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess because it's oh, it's your underwear or whatever. But when she made that change, like she became so fashion conscious, and she started wearing things intentionally, things that made her feel good.
3: And, yes. and she
1: stopped you know stopped giving a fuck about what other people thought for the most part and I actually started to see this huge change in her where she was starting to feel way better about who she was and more comfortable on her own skin which in turn makes her way more attractive right because now it's like now it's like like you said Matt I I'm seeing a different version of her that she's kind of kept at bay or Mm -hmm. hidden or even just not let out. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's so, it's so beautiful to see like today she was wearing this gorgeous dress that was just cut right off here. Mm -hmm. And, and in a lot of ways it's so shameful to wear that around here because she's announcing, Oh, guess what? I'm not wearing garments, Yeah, but she just doesn't care.
2: It's so great! It's I'm so, so proud of cast, her. Cast. She did it fast. She's badass. <laughs> I
1: mean, she's she's pretty awesome. But yeah, that and I and that's the most attractive part. I and I've told her that, but when I see her wear that, and I just see she's like, you know, if people are gonna judge me, fuck them. No,
2: you know, it's, it's awesome. Uh, it's getting unleashed out of those Garmies. It's like yeah, a little right. cage, but. It's that, like you said, the finding, finally finding the confidence within ourselves, all of us to make a choice and not, I mean, I know that sounds silly that what to wear, but not what everyone else is telling you what to wear. It goes in any part of your life, but yeah, well, the, finding just, confidence and trust. Yeah. Trusting like, bro, I'm not stupid. It's not like I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to wear clothes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Most of the time. Wah, wah. So
2: why would anyone else care? I know it's just, it's such a silly thing but it is but it's a real thing it is and letting go of that shame mm-hmm. and finally feeling confident and happy oh good for your life
1: yeah well yeah it's it, it <laughs> and, but that's that when you were talking about that it's it to me i just want to applaud because when people make that external shift because they've been working internally i'm going to be com- i'm going to be comfortable with who i am and it's going to show all the way out to what i wear and mm-hmm. i think that's
0: awesome yeah. Yeah. So yeah. shame is a thing and it's a thing we're all battling against, but particularly the vulnerable in my world, um, which is a, you know, kind of a multidisciplinary, uh, intersection of, of, you know, child development, law, um, psychology, trauma, um, you know, those, those types of things. I, I think they are the, the three, Um, if I had to pick pick a three and I'm the subject to change is um, um, trauma, shame, and resiliency. And that those three things are contributing either the the lack of those things or the, the, the um, acuteness of those things are what's contributing so much to um, you know, the, to, to a lack of health and wellness of the, of the self. So, so many interpersonal issues of, You know depression, and um, you know, uh, and and various you know negative responses that are resulting in in addictions and in in other destructive and unhealthy behavior, suicide, and those types of things. Um, You know, so so shame, uh, trauma, and and resiliency, and and the more we can address those and and develop the tools and resources to develop those for us and those around us, um, the more. Um, healthy we'll be the more um, connected we'll be that we'll find more level, you know, higher levels of intimacy, higher levels of self-satisfaction. Um, and, you know, life's hard enough. And, but we make it so much harder on ourselves. And more importantly, we make it so much harder on our kids than we really need to intend to. Um, yeah. Let's do yeah, it for the, the kids
1: exactly build Mm. them up build them up give them the self-confidence and self-esteem that you know that they're still trying to figure out for themselves so like you you said the resiliency be able to ward off all these shameful things yeah
0: yeah so what do you think man this you you were i I gave you a um shotgun at the beginning Did did it did it work out for you
1: yeah i i mean it's still it's still something you know we could spend episodes talking
0: about yeah and we will So So now we get into the weeds with examples, not just about sexual abuse, but about the human condition, which is trying to find peace from a burdened mind, trying to find self-authority, trying to find our authentic self so that we can find connections, not just with ourselves, but with other people. Because, you know, the the biggest thing is I was thinking about the idea of blending in, right? I I want to blend in. Like what? Becoming invisible? What are you talking about? No, no, no. Well, th- what, and I think it's tied to shame in many ways, right? It's
2: You're talking about like fitting in, fitting in oh, yeah. right? Fitting I want to blend in.
0: in. Oh, yeah. oh, I just, yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I wish I had people that I could blend in with. Right. That yeah. that seems to be, you know, this, this, I want, I don't want to be alone. Right. And, and it's tied to the shame thing. But I was thinking about, you know, blending is that too often we, you know, we just want to blend for blending's sake. I just don't want to be alone. And so we find, um, you know, not the most healthy environments for us, just because we'd rather be alone. But instead, if we can find instances where we blend authentically with our environment, right, with our healthy environments, we're, we're going to find people that maybe don't belong in our lives as, as, as much as they, they are. Or we're going to find other people who do. And I think in many instances, we'll find more comf- comfort and peace with even being alone. I think. I think sounds that's like the goal. Sounds like you're speaking from experience, but yeah, I mean, I it's. I, I'm speaking from my experience, and I'm spe- and I'm seeing other people that have done that as well, and and seeing instances where, um, when that's not happening, uh, people find such dissatisfaction and experience new traumas and new shame and new experiences that contribute to PTSD. And the thing about PTSD is it's not just PTSD. It's, it's, it's active trauma. And we're experiencing that sometimes perpetually and too often exponentially because the past shame stays and new traumas contribute to new shames that, that just add on top of the old shames and the weighty burdens of these things that compile up over time can become debilitating. So we've gotta let that shit go. Break it's the hard. cycle. Break the cycle. So part of the things I think we'll be talking about are some of the tools and resources to accomplish that and not just shine a light and say, hey, this is really bad and here's the problems, but here's some, maybe some real examples of how to have interventions in our own lives. And so so one is this this compassionate mind training sounds really interesting. Um, you know, others talking I think, openly and authentically um, with, with each other, you know, in, in ways, you know, you and I have interacted and talked in, in different, different ways over the last few months than we have in the past. We've been more vulnerable about things that, you know, maybe usually men, uh, you know, we hide or we keep, you know, we keep down, but, you know, in many ways, you and I basically approaching each other being like, I don't know what to do with some of these things.
1: Yeah, it is weird, right? It's it's it's. I don't know. I think it's really really cool, more than it's weird. But it, yeah, it's right.
0: weird. <laughs> cool. It provides
2: such well. What well, I've seen, it provides Matt.
0: resiliency. It assists yeah, sure. with that resiliency. And, yeah, because yes, yeah.
2: and deeper connections, deeper connections where you naturally, I think, then would feel safe to ever talk about anything that's shameful. Mm-hmm. You know, which like we've we've always talked about our communication as a couple, it's because we really did I always trusted you, I could tell you stuff. So I didn't have that like who do I tell I can't tell anyone. I can't imagine I can't imagine not having anyone to tell. And so many adults and kids that you're telling us are living that just way. So know. I guess if we just Yeah, can find ourselves and naturally start surrounding ourselves with people that we connect with. Look,
0: and let's, let's, let's extend this further. The shame, the shame stuff I'm talking about here certainly relates to the manner in which um, LGBT kids. I mean, everything that I've just talked about now apply it to being an LGBT kid, in the Mormon church.
1: Yeah. That's a can of worms, dude. But it's, it's it's the same thing, right?
0: It is the same thing. I would like to withdraw my, uh, resignation from Infants on Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> so you did pull a Randy. You I totally Randy. pulled a Randy. Two cool. things. Um, but I, so so I, I realized, you know, I, I had the idea, you know, I'm, I'm doing this other podcast um, where we're talking more about this type of stuff. But you know, Infants on Thrones is, is is has has some some listeners that have heard a lot about my journey up to this point. And Kristen and I want to talk about our journey, um, our spiritual journey over the last few years. That's kind of not about the journey as much as just some of the things that we've we've come to learn together about relationships, about um, parenting, about uh, marriage and, and and intimacy and communication. Um, and there's a larger story to be told that. Um, I'd like to tell, and we'd like to kind of, we'd kind of like to explore. And I think Evans on throws is a great place for that to provide maybe greater context, um, for some of the things that we're going to be talking about on the other podcast, um, which is what, what we know pod.com. Um, so that, that's kind of the, that's kind of what we want to do. Continue to do is, is be able to have a more and a, a, maybe a more authentic and intimate conversations about our life um, here on infants on thrones with people who have become friends. And, um, to that end, um, you know, I said, I don't give a shit what, what listeners have to say about my tone and, but on these type of topics, I am, I want more than anything to know what the listeners have to say, because what I know is, is they are absolute experts on their experiences of shame and trauma and resiliency and communication and intimacy and I think we all have something to learn from each other if we'll listen. I want to start a uh, discussion group to start having conversations about these topics and to hear about what listeners think about um, shame, not so that we can, or, or I should say the reason of that is is to get to use each other as resources to get closer to access to information that will help all of us. And I think I can learn more about shame and from and, and all these things about health and wellness by hearing what other people think and, and have learned and have experienced in their lives and and that you know we can all kind of teach each other and really develop develop a, a school of teachers you know rather than a school of prophets. And to me a school of teachers just means a school of healers. And so, yeah, man, let's, I want to know what the listeners have to say about this topic because they've demonstrated real thoughtfulness and, um, perspective and openness on a lot of topics. And so let's stop just talking maybe about ex-Mormonism and talking about the human condition. I'm in. (laughs) What do you think? Yeah, pretty
1: good. I mean, except for those jackass listeners, you know who you are. <laughs> you are yeah, there's, there's a few out there.
0: <laughs> Mate, you know who you are. You, so come right. to find out, <laughs>
2: when we take a few minutes and try to heal our own brains and then we, then start listening to other adults, like you guys are saying, the listeners and the listeners' comments, um, friends, people you run into, it it only broadens my perspective and helps me think. And my main goal of obviously my career of 22 years of teaching is the kids. And I, I really do see us adults as like you said earlier, Tom, big kids, we're doing our fucking best trying to figure this life out just like kids are. So I'm probably blabbing now But the more,
1: no, you can help right. each other
2: and be vulnerable and just talk real shit and help each other out as adults. Yep. And like, apologize when we've said shitty things and you know (laughs) all this stuff helps us be vulnerable and real and i think all it can do is spread more love and help kids so
3: it's not simple to say that most days i don't recognize me with these shoes this apron